0: Pastor for Anchor Church. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we have some at the table over there. Feel free to get one. Um, We will start our time by reading a confession together. Uh, It should be on the screen. Uh, We take this from the Apostles' Creed, uh, but have modified it for our own purposes. It's important, I think, for us to remember why we do things like this. It's so important before we even dig into God's Word to remember who we are and what we believe and why we're even here. Uh, and it's important that we do that together. It's not just what Andrew believes or what Conrad believes or, or whatever, but, but that we're here together and this is, this is what we know to be true. So if you'd join me in reading. We believe in God the Father, the Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, who suffered, was crucified, died and was buried, on the third day rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And He will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in Jesus' church, the community of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the eternal life. Amen. Uh, Please please join me as we pray together um, for ourselves, for our church, and for our world. Uh, King Jesus, this is Your day. You are glorious and holy. God, I pray for us that we would see You in Your splendor and Your wonder, that we'd see You in the Gospel, the reality that You came to save us from ourselves, and we did nothing uh, to deserve it, uh, we did nothing to earn it, but You extended Your grace to us in mighty and, and splendid ways, that You are more beautiful than anything else, You are more holy than anything else, You are perfect, and You are all light and no dark. We pray for our world that is broken, Uh, We are both excited for your return to fix this place, but also pray uh, specifically for the brothers and sisters today uh, in Nigeria and in Chad, um, for the families of those Christians who are crossing the Mediterranean this week. Um, for your comfort to, to visit them, uh, for uh, those who are taking the gospel to dangerous and far-off places, that you would empower them uh, by your Holy Spirit. You would give them courage and bravery uh, as they carry the good news to the places that it has not been heard. Uh, we pray for people to wake up uh, today, tomorrow, um, in places where the Bible is outlawed, having met you in a dream or any other method that you choose to use. Uh, that you would get your gospel to closed countries and far off dangerous places, uh, and that you would bless those who carry uh, that good news. We pray for our own country. The churches meeting across our country today to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray you would save many people uh, around North America today at the hearing of the gospel. And we pray for our city, Lord. We pray for hundreds of thousands of people to come to know you here. Uh, We pray for the Bible-believing churches of our city, uh, that that, that the people who would stand up and preach your word today would be faithful to the task you've given them, Uh, that the gospel would be clear, um, that people would hear it, We pray for the folks in our church network, Three Strand, throughout the Pacific Northwest, um, from Bellingham on down uh, to Seattle today, Lord. Uh, We pray you'd bless those people as well and that that you would give an extra measure of grace to their preachers and to their musicians and to to everyone who's involved there today, um, that they would make much of your name. I pray for us all, Lord Jesus, as a church, that we would give of ourselves to help other people know you. I pray for this text, Lord, today. Jesus, I pray that we would know uh, that we don't come to Your Word uh, like a fortune cookie. Uh, We don't come to Your Word um, to find good advice. We come to Your Word to hear from You. We come to be shaped and changed by the reality of Your bloodshed and body broken to save us from ourselves, to give us life. We come to be changed by the reality that we have new hearts, that we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that we're new people, we're changed people, we're forgiven people, we're Your people. for anyone who does not know you today who is hearing this truth that they would and that they would live and pray for us Lord that you just light us up with a passion for who you are for your glory and your grace and for your mercy and for your forgiveness Uh, we need your help Uh, I need your help today I'm just a man and I I have a big task to open your word and preach it today so Holy Spirit fill me help me uh, whatever is just of me, may it be forgotten. And whatever is of you for your glory, Jesus, may that land in our hearts. And may we make much of your name as a result and really celebrate who we are because of you, Jesus. Jesus, we love you and pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name. Jesus Christ, amen. Uh, okay, so we're, we're concluding our sermon on Proverbs. This is it, chapter 9. This is where we land the plane. Uh, I think what's really important for us to see and what's beautiful about chapter 9 is it helps summarize everything we've already seen and looked at. Uh, And what's really important for us to remember is that Proverbs is not about application. By that I mean Proverbs is not a book that helps us just understand uh, how to balance your checkbook. Uh, Proverbs isn't a book uh, that just helps you try and figure out how to navigate life a little bit more comfortably. Proverbs is ultimately a book about knowing who God is and living in the wake of the reality of who God is. And so it's not application, it's implication. There are implications about who you are and how you're to live and how reality is because of who God is. Now those implications lead to what I would call applicational theology. So it's not just, oh, Pastor Andrew's going to tell me today how to balance my checkbook well. No, we're going to see in the gospel who we are, uh, how we belong to Jesus, how much we've been forgiven and given, and how much life we have in Him, and that we didn't earn any of it. Thus, that makes us more generous and, and more maybe even careful with our finances because now all of a sudden everything we have we want to use to the best of our ability for Him, for His glory, and to help other people know Him. And that's the point of our life. It's all about worship all of a sudden, right? Right? Uh, Because reality is, as we've seen and spoken uh, about as we've navigated our way through Proverbs, we live in the information age, right? We feel smarter. I feel smarter because I can take my telephone, and this sentence didn't make any sense when I was a kid, but I can take my telephone and look up random information out of nowhere. Look how smart I am. I can type a question, poorly spelled by the way, into a computer that I hold in my hand and bam, it gives me the answer. I am a genius. No, I'm not. I've got Google, right? But, but the thing about understanding how much information we have and how much smarter we feel, the thing is that we look around in our own lives and in the world we live and there's still brokenness. Uh, There's a sense, I think, in the last century, as modern people, we had a sense, if they only had more information, transformation would happen. If people knew that X, Y, and Z was bad for them, they would stop doing that thing. Right? We don't. Right? Smoking's expensive. And everybody knows it's bad for you. And people still buy cigarettes. Right? It's not a lack of information there. It's not a lack of information because the reality is that information is not what transforms us. Because information in and of itself does not deal with the ultimate human problem. The reality is is that God in His grace and in His beauty and His wonder made everything good. He made the the human person and the human being and the creation that we interact with in such a way that... that I, I get this from Romans, by the way. Romans 1 and Genesis 2. That just being able to breathe and look outside and experience the world that God has created should lead us on up to Him. Should lead us on up to say, God is glorious and wonderful and look at what He has done and how mighty He is and the truth of His grace and mercy to us all. It's like the nicest day of the year. And you can get out of bed and not even think about Jesus. Right? There's a human problem at work. Now God made a promise to fix that human problem Adam and Eve breaks everything but God makes a promise to send his son to fix that problem because we can't fix it on our own we can't love God on our own we can't know God on our own and yet God came and loved us before we were lovely and forgave us and made us new and made us alive together with his son for his glory and for our joy and you did absolutely nothing to earn that at all This is the problem with my sermons. I feel like now it's time for me to get off and let's just bring the band back up and let's sing some more because there's nothing we did to earn God's love and grace and mercy. It was extended to us by His Son who came to rescue us from ourselves, to die in our place, forgive us for our sins, and make us alive together with God forever. That's the truth of the Gospel. That's what we understand. That's why we're here today. That's the answer to the human problem. Right? Go with me to... Proverbs chapter 9. Did I mention we're in Proverbs today? Proverbs chapter 9. Now, to to get through this text, what we have to do uh, is we're going to look at the top of Proverbs 9, and we're going to look at the bottom of Proverbs 9, and then we'll dig into the middle. This is is what's called a chiasm. And you don't need to remember that word, but you just need to know when you're reading your Bible slowly, sometimes there's a a Bible sandwich, and there's bread on either sides of your Bible sandwich, and that Bible sandwich is trying to point you to the meat in the middle. Uh, You'll see what I mean in just a second. Okay, verse 1. Wisdom. Now remember, we have wisdom, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly have been throughout the book as these literary devices uh, pointing to to understanding this framework for reality, right? Proverbs has been urging us to understand who God is and how His world exists. So chapter 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She sent out her, uh, out her young woman to call from the highest places in the town. And this is what she calls. Listen to it. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To whom lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread, and drink the wine I have mixed. Uh, leave your simple ways, and live, uh, and walk in the way of insight. Now we're going to get a key in a second for what insight is, but, but you've got to remember, Proverbs has said it again and again and again and again. You must know God to know reality and know the framework for the reality in which he lives. And wisdom is just understanding that framework, that, that reality. It's, it's kind of the drum that's just beat throughout these nine chapters as we've seen them. Okay, so the beat is 7 through 12. And we'll come back for it, I promise. 13. Now hear it. So we just heard 1 through 6. Now hear what 13 on says. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling those to pass by who are going straight on their way, who are doing what's right, who are walking in God's ways, following Jesus and getting after Him. Verse 16. So verse 16, let's do it. is simple, let him turn here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant but he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol, or the grave. Now what's important here is verse 9, 16, and verse uh, 4. 16 and 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here to him who lacks sense, she says. It's the, same, it's the same sentence in both places. Did you see that? It's the exact same sentence. And so what are being compared here then is, is wisdom, this framework for understanding which Proverbs has couched in an understanding of who God is, and Folly. Wisdom says, come in here, get some sense, wake up, know what's, have your eyes open, see how the world actually is. And Folly says the same thing, except for she says, come, be selfish, be self-centered, be greedy, live for yourself. It will be awesome. Obey your thirst, right? Lady Folly is the Sprite commercial. Obey Your Thirst. It is the Amazon uh, screen when you turn it on and you've been foolish enough to tell them the books that you want on the wish list and then they say, why don't you buy yourself something nice today? Oh, that is a good book. I, I, I should buy myself something nice today. Yeah, I said that. That happens to me all the time. Stupid wish list. Okay. So if you'd go with me to Matthew, what's happening here? This is what I think is happening here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus says this. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy. The way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. We have a world that is calling us First John, John's gonna use this language, the world, the flesh and the devil, malevolent spiritual forces who are calling us away from Christ. Uh, A world that just says, obey your thirst. Come on, man. Just as long as you're not hurting anybody, it's cool. Whatever you do is cool, as long as you're not hurting anybody. Needs an asterisk there, by the way. Uh, And just ourselves, right? We want to hear what we want to hear. No, it's it's cool. Just just do this thing. It'll be it'll be easy, it'll be awesome. Obey your thirst. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And the reality is, is all those things lead us to sin. And as Christians, we know that being a Christian isn't just spiritual push-ups. It's not just white-knuckling. It's being a Christian is not not sinning. Okay, Being a Christian is not not sinning. Being a Christian is having your sins forgiven by Jesus and following Him. It's the grace and mercy of God extended to us. Yes, as Christians, we obey Jesus because we love Jesus. We trust Jesus. But being a Christian not not sinning, being a chi- uh, Christian putting our faith, trust, and love in Jesus Christ and having him forgive us from our sins and saving us from ourselves. Now, so often we walk uh, on this weird road and there's two ditches on either side where we're either doing whatever we want to do or we're just doing false religion or we're trying to do those spiritual push-ups and we're just, I'm a good person, so I should be a nice person and a nice person does nice things or I'm a Christian, so I should be a nice person and do nice things. I'm a Christian, which means I need to turn to Jesus. The way is narrow. How narrow is the way to God? The cross, that's how narrow. There's one way to God. His name is Jesus Christ. God is too holy. God is too beautiful. God is too wonderful. We can't get up to God, but the good news is that God has come down to get to us, and if you do not know Jesus today, you can receive that grace and that love and that mercy by turning to Him and being forgiven. right? And if you're a Christian today, we stop with the spiritual push-ups and we turn to Jesus because He's the one who saved us, is going to save us, and will save us. This is why Paul cries out in Galatians, "Did you who began by the Spirit, are you going to finish this thing with works? No! You need God. We need Jesus because the way is narrow. And wisdom calls. God's not hiding the truth. He's not hiding His wisdom. He's not hiding His ways. He's not hiding His forgiveness. He's been talking about His ways and His mercy and His grace since Genesis. He's not hiding it. Anger Church exists. The Bible-believing churches of Seattle and the Pacific Northwest and the whole world exist to proclaim the truth that Jesus saved sinners from death to life. He's not hiding it. In fact, we're to be quite loud about it. Which is good news because I was born without an inside talking voice. So here we are. The, 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 the gate is narrow. We go towards wisdom We go towards folly. We go towards understanding how God has made things and towards God ultimately and living the way that God has made reality or we go towards sin and folly in the ways of the world. Now these sandwiches, remember bread, we've got bread and the meat in the middle, the chiasm. Both of these similar passages are supposed to point us back to to 7 to 12 where it says this. I'll read the whole thing and then we'll, we'll unpack it from there. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse and he reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I don't know if you've noticed that that phrase keeps popping up in Proverbs. In fact, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 is where the book starts, right? These nine chapters... This section starts there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Now what's interesting is 7 through 9 is trying to make a comparison between fools and wise people. People who get after the second piece of bread and the first piece of bread. People who listen to Lady Folly and who listen to Lady Wisdom. Uh, but the main thing here uh, is not actually to talk about scoffers, but to talk about a wise, what a wise person does. They're used as a juxtaposition. But it's important. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Uh, we see this with Jesus, right? Matthew chapter 5. If you know you've sinned against somebody, you go to them. Matthew chapter 18, if you know someone's sinned against you, you go to them, and you call them out on it. But Jesus has a caveat. Don't cast your pearls before swine, or that you might get trampled underfoot. So, so what does that mean? Well, as Christians, it doesn't mean we just say we're sorry to, to Christians alone. We, we do that. We do reconciliation and repentance to non-Christians as well. So we know we've sinned against them. It's actually a gospel opportunity. You sinned against someone, and you say, I'm sorry. And they say, why are you saying you're sorry? Well, because I sinned against you. Well, that's, that's kind of religious language. Well, yeah, because I'm a Jesus follower, and this is what I do. I'm a Christian. This is what we do. Uh, I sinned against you, and I need to ask for your forgiveness. Please forgive me. And we, we let people know, I do this because I know how much I've been forgiven by Jesus and his cross. That's the fuel and the power that I can make myself even look foolish in your eyes by being honest with you that I messed up. Instead of arguing about why I'm right, I'm going to tell you I was wrong. Please forgive me. And I can do that because I know how much I've been forgiven by Jesus. Likewise, we can go to brothers and sisters in Christ and say, man, that, that hurt my feelings, or I didn't like that. Was, that's... This is what the Bible says, and this is what you're doing, and they're different. It's really the, the main form that it should take, right? Now, Jesus gives us this, ca- this caveat. Why? Because there's going to be times and places where people are hostile to you. If you go to the person who just wants to yell at you and you want to do Matthew 18 with you, guess what? They're just going to yell at you, and they're just going to eat you. That's what it says is going to happen. That's what pigs do, by the way. We're urbanites. We, we kind of stay out of that, but there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's something down in there. They will devour you. They're scary. They're animals. They're not just bacon. (laughs) They're scary. Not that scary, but they're scary. But a wise person doesn't do that. When you go to a wise person, you go to someone who has wisdom, who has a biblical framework and a biblical understanding, and you say, I love you, and this is what the Bible says, and this is what you're doing, and they're different. That's a loving moment in our life. It's a, it's a soft and hard. It's a tender moment. But when someone says, I love you, and, and I know you well enough to know. And I'm not talking about sin snipering, and I'm not talking about, you know, getting down to, like, the motives. I'm talking, like, I saw you do this, and the Bible says, don't do this. And I love you. Please stop. And a wise person says, huh. You're right. That is what the Bible says, and that is what I'm doing please forgive me. And then we get to move on with the rest of our life. It's called restoration. It's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's God's provided for us. Because a wise person does what? A wise person understands the framework for reality. A wise person understands, a truly wise person understands that Jesus has forgiven them for all their sins and so all I want to do is get rid of my sin and get to Jesus. I want to get away from my sin and I want to follow Him and even the church has been given as a gift to help in that. Even the church has been given a gift to help in that. Now again, carefully, gently, not just, I have this feeling or I have this sense, this is what the Bible says and this is what you're doing. That's that's what it looks like. It's not sniffing around for sin or sin sniping or or whatever. Okay, now here's the, the main course. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This is how we have wisdom. This is how we have wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Uh, I have to unpack it every week because maybe this is the first time you've heard this phrase and if you've managed to be here for all the sermons I've said, you're like, okay, we're going to unpack the fear of the Lord again. Yes, absolutely. But hey, now you can unpack it too. You're welcome. So when it says the fear of the Lord, it's not that that God's not to be feared in in the way we think of fear. Um, God is not someone you want to pick a fight with. He wins. Uh, God is not someone you want to make an enemy of. He wins. God is not someone you want to push he wins. Uh, Hebrews tells us it is a, it's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of the living God. You don't mess with God, you don't mess with God's people, uh, but at the same time, that's not what this is talking about. And so I want to be careful. Yep, that's true. And at the same time, he's so loving and wonderful in the way he treats his enemies is he gives them a way out by sending his son to save them from themselves if they turn and be saved and live, right? That's also who God is. Um, now, When it says fear of the Lord, we're talking about the awe and the wonder and the power and the majesty of God. We're talking about seeing God for who he is and being breathless. It's an ineffable moment when we understand and comprehend in our teeny tiny through, as Paul's going to say, through the, the fog of the mirror way, who God is and we are in awe. It's called worship. It's the fear of the Lord. Now, In addition to that, we're going to talk about the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So knowing that God, knowing that God is one of the big keys to having a framework for how reality actually is. So first we'll look at the fear of the Lord. Worship ultimately is living, understanding, and comprehending who God is and who you are. Right? Right? So this God in all His majesty and wonders actually revealed Himself to you if you're a Christian. He's shown you who He is. He saved you from from yourself. And He's given you life. And so we're always walking in this tension, even in obedience with God, right? So it's not... God will forgive you from your sins. Now, work really, really hard to keep Him happy for the rest of your life. It is, God has forgiven us for our sins, so we respond to His grace and mercy by responding, by seeing who He is and living our whole life in the wake of that reality and the grace and mercy that He has done, right? The cross is not the point in which, at which you get saved for all your sins before you met Jesus. The cross is the point at which you, Christian, are forgiven, church, for all of your sins, for all of your life, period. What does that mean? That doesn't mean I come into the gospel by grace and earn the rest of it by works. It means I come into the gospel by grace and spend the rest of my life in the freedom of the gospel, loving Jesus and responding to what He's done by loving, trusting, and obeying Him. That's the gospel. That's gospel-centered spirituality. That's living in the wake and the reality of who He is. What do I mean by that? Go with me to. Uh, go with me to, Colossians chapter three. Let's talk about worship. Who is this God we are responding to? Chapter three, starting verse twelve. What does it mean to do this right? Put then on. As God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved. So stop right there. Everything that is about to ensue from here. Colossians is a beautiful book that I don't have time to preach the whole thing this morning. But it's a great thing to read on a nice sunny day under a tree. Here's what he's saying. Everything I'm about to give you. This is the, this is the, this is the turn in Colossians. It's a, it's, a, it's a book in two parts. This is who Jesus is, and now this is how you live in response to him. This is the turn. He's talked to us, and we'll actually look at it in a second, how wonderful and awesome and amazing Jesus is, and what he's done for you, the believer, to save you from yourself, and this is how we respond. So, everything he's saying that you're doing here, you're not doing so that you will earn God's love. Put then on, putting them on as God's chosen ones. You've been chosen, he's already pulled you out of the fire, holy and beloved. You've been set apart. You've been made holy. You've been forgiven for your sins. You are loved by God. You are loved by the God of the universe. If you are a Christian, God has loved you before you loved Him. He has saved you, not you saved you. Not you saved you? Yes. He saved you from yourself. By His grace and mercy. And as a result of the fact that you've been made holy, as a result of the fact that you've been separated from your sins, not height nor depth nor powers and principalities could ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is reality going into it because that's reality. Because He will remember our sins and lawless deeds no more. He's put them away. They're far from us, right? Because of all that, beloved, holy, chosen, compassionate hearts. Put on then as God's chosen, holy, and beloved, compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness. Meekness, by the way, doesn't have anything to do with weakness in the biblical sense. It's all about humility. This is who God is and this is who I am. And patience. Why can I be patient? Because Jesus has been patient with me. Good night, he's been patient with me. Why can I be kind? Let me tell you about the kindness that God's extended to me. How can I be humble? Because I see him for who he is and who I am, just like meekness. Bearing with one another. How can I bear with one another? I understand how much Jesus has bared with me. How much he's bearing with me as we speak. Right? So, see, this is a response. Why am I kind? Because I know how kind Jesus was. Why, Why can I bear with someone else? Because I know how much Jesus has bared with me and is bearing with me. Why can I be patient? Not because I'm a Christian and I'm not supposed to lose my temper and I'm supposed to keep it cool. I can be patient when I put my eyes on the fact that He has been so abundantly and amazingly patient with me. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Past tense. This is who you are. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Why? Because the word of God helps us to understand all these things. Because I can look back and say, well, man, I can look in the scriptures and see how patient he's been to me. Let alone my own life. Good night. And above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankful, thankfulness in your heart to God. What does this mean? Let's talk about applied theology. The implication. This is who you are. Applied theology means then to my own life and heart and to the lives and hearts of other people, I apply the reality of God. What does that mean? I'm having trouble forgiving. Okay, this is how much you've been forgiven by God. It's applicational theology. We, we have a weird thing in America. We want Application's over here and theology's over here. They're not. They're not separate. If, if by theology you mean the understanding of who God is, right? Um, be thankful that the word of oh, sorry, hymn songs, spiritual songs. 17, and whatever you do, this is the response, right? This is worship. This is, this is living in the fear of the Lord. In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Your life is a gift. It should be marked with thankfulness, regardless of your circumstance. Because no matter how hard your circumstances are, right, you belong to Jesus. You belong to the King. No one can ever take that away from you. You will live in the new heavens and the new earth with Jesus redeemed forever. Forever and ever. If you're following the news, things going on in the Mediterranean, Nigeria, Chad, people are clinging to Jesus. In very hard and very dark situations because they know who he is and who they are. And this is important. Go with me to uh, Romans chapter 11, starting verse 33. So, again, worship. So, Paul has just come off of Romans 8, 9, 10 and 11 he's been dealing with divine sovereignty he's been dealing with big heady issues he's been thinking deep thoughts about God that make the apostle Peter and I think it's in second Peter at the end say things like I know that you all have been reading the works of Paul and they're very confusing hey I know but don't twist them what he says that's a he doesn't say y'all but it is the second person plural in the greek so that's the best english you get for it y'all you all one word y'all 33 so coming off this just massive deep stuff oh the depth of the riches, and the wisdom, and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, and inscrutable His ways. For who knows the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or or who will give Him a gift that He might be repaid? You cannot pay Him back for your salvation. You cannot pay Him back for the fact that you have air in your lungs right now and that you are alive. You cannot pay Him back for anything. It's all grace. It's all a gift. This is the good news of Jesus. So what do we do then? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? What he just said. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but by, be transformed by the renewing of your renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. In, in worshiping God, we see what's good. God and the things that He's made. What's bad? Everything else. What don't we want? Everything else. My self-centeredness, my love of money, my love of stuff, my love of comfort, uh, my love of other people's opinion of me. I don't want those things. I want Jesus. I want to be free. Because none of those things will liberate you in any way, shape, or form, by the way. Uh, Lastly, wait, not lastly. Oh, Acts 20 on worship. Lastly on worship. There we go. Acts 20. He's addressing the Ephesian elders. This is Paul. And and hear what he says, starting in verse 22 in Acts chapter 20. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment imprisonment and afflictions await me. That's what he knows is coming. And the Holy Spirit keeps telling you. It's one thing when other people say, that's not going to go well for you. It's a whole other thing when you're like, and the Holy Sp- God keeps telling me this is what's going to happen. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. All Paul wants out of the deal is Jesus. Paul's willing to lay his life down to do the things that Jesus has called him to because all he wants is Jesus. Because Paul, in that moment, it, it's clear, you read Acts, Paul's not happy about it. The, the Ephesian elders' speech, and everyone's crying you're never going to see my face again. He's not happy about it. He doesn't have to be happy about it. But he knows that that is the way of the cross, and that is the way to Jesus. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is a framework for reality. I know now from Colossians that I can do everything through Jesus, and for Jesus, and by Jesus, and that, that nothing of is any value to me except for Jesus And then Proverbs is going to take another step in the second line. So The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, insight is a, is a particularly important word because it comes from the same word as between. It's come up in Proverbs a couple of times. You may remember it. It, it means between. So we can discern between what is good and what is bad, that, that knowing God and who He is gives us the insight in our life to know what's good and what's bad. What will lead us to Jesus and will lead us away from Jesus will lead us to Jesus in His glory and our joy in God forever or will lead us away from glorifying God and into temporary joys that only, as Proverbs tells us, will lead places we don't want to go. What kind of knowledge of the Holy One are we talking about? Go with me. Just hear about the Holy One. Hear about Him and His holiness and His wonder. This is the one we're talking about. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authority, all things were created through Him and for Him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church, he is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Philippians chapter 2. Um, starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though... He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Daniel, what else about God? Daniel chapter 20, or pardon me, chapter 2 starting in verse 20. Um, Daniel's in a bit of a pickle uh, in that their, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar wants all the magicians and guys who do divination and worship pretend gods and whatnot to tell him what his dream means. Except for he won't tell him what the dream is. And now it's Daniel's turn. And everyone gets executed if they don't tell them. And this is what Daniel says about God before he asks God to reveal the dream. Verse 20, Daniel answered and said this. I want you to hear what Daniel knows about God. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. How do the wise get wisdom? God. How do the understanding get knowledge? God. Who is in charge of who is in Parliament, Congress, the White House, or any other state building anywhere on planet earth, anywhere in human history? God. God is. And I don't have time for a sermon on personal responsibility and divine sovereignty, but one would be applicable there. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Knowing who He is, knowing these things about Him, knowing He's the one is what helps us as we understand and grow in who He is to know it is good and it is bad, what glorifies Him and what doesn't. How we get after Him and how we don't. The core of our life, the core of the applied theology then is what? Knowing and worshiping Jesus. That's what drives our life. That's what gives us understanding. That's how we live. How should then we live? Doing everything we can to worship Jesus and know Him. How do we understand reality? Worshiping Jesus and knowing Him more and more and more. Getting after God through Jesus by the Spirit and not after the things that are against Him. But getting after Jesus by His grace and His mercy as a response to His beauty and His glory and His wonder. It's not to win points with God. It's because we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. It is not that He needs us as if He needed anything from us as we saw in uh, Romans 11 but that we need Him and in that moment know how much we need Him and that extends beyond our time here this morning but out into the rest of our lives. This drives our evangelism because now all of a sudden I understand how much my neighbors need Him. This, this drives my life with my children because I know how much they need Him. This drives my life with my spouse because I know how much my wife needs Him and how much I need Him. And this drives my life as a pastor because I know how much you need Him and I need Him. It's a framework for reality. It's an understanding that begins with the fear of the Lord. The moment before God. And the discernment that comes from knowing Him more and more and more. And what's beautiful about the, remember the first piece of bread? He's not hiding any of these things from you or me. He's not hiding wisdom from you. He's not hiding understanding. He's not hiding himself. He's given you his word. He's given you Christian community where people are here and ready to give up their lives to help you know God more. Where we want to be a people who are known and marked. Anchor Church is a people who lay down their lives to help other people know Jesus with everything they've got. These are Bible people. These are people of the book who believe the Word and do everything they can to help both themselves and others know who He is. Saturated in His grace and mercy. When we don't believe this, that this is the reality we should operate in, that this should be the, the air that we breathe, it's the fear of the Lord, and a knowledge of the Holy One. Honestly, it's, it's not that we don't get after knowing other things or worshiping other things. A lot of times it's in terms of information. We fill our heads with other stuff other than Him. We, we worship other things. We put other things in, our, in, the, in the center of the universe. Other things drive our heart and our motivation. Other things get at the core of who we are and what we do. And we need to be careful, as Christians, that we don't do this in sort of tricky ways. By that I mean, you hear... Colossians, you hear Philippians, you say, yeah, yeah, but what else you got? What else you got in your bag of tricks to help me get along with this life? I don't have other things in my quote-unquote bag of tricks. I have that being applied deeply and passionately in my life and in yours. That works its way out into every level of biblical counseling and community and training and everything. So it's not that we just stop there. If 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 we're sitting down for coffee and you need to work through something and be like, well, just read Philippians two and then you know, Colossians one and call me in the morning, see how it goes. It's not it, right? It's, it's applicational. It's how do I and how do you help me in your life and as we do this together, right? Like this is what it is to be church. How do you help me in my life and I help you in your life? Get this truth down into the nooks and the crannies and the depths of your heart so that you're lit up for a passion, uh, with a passion for Jesus and responding to Him and who He is, and that that truth is applied to the deepest and even the darkest and the hardest stuff in your life. Because in the deepest, darkest, heart of your, hardest stuff of your life, the Gospel's no less true than the first time we heard it. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're owned by Jesus. You're set free. But we believe so much other stuff, and we need to be very careful with that. We need to not forget that Jesus saves us by revealing himself to us and applying the reality of his cross and his resurrection to you personally. This is a personal reality for you now if you're a Christian. And all these things should draw us into that fear of the Lord. All these things should draw us into worship. And as we're worshiping, it changes the way we go about and applying everything. Jesus is more than information. Our Sunday gathering, your Bible reading, our Bible studies, whatever, it's, it's about a lot more than information. It's about knowing Jesus. It's not the information that saves. It's Jesus who saves. Now, I want to be after the information and the knowledge of who he is, but it's vastly more than a baseball card type facts. So if you're a Christian, I want to ask you then, what's at the core of what's driving you? What, what frames out reality for you right now? Frames out who you are, how you live, and how do you operate? Is it Jesus? Is it his gospel? You're, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That can change Today. And unfortunately as we go through the sort of bumps of life it's not just like oh i flip the switch and then i have the framework and i live in the framework it's that i need to be constantly drawn back to the reality of who jesus is cuz i might have the framework one moment but i'm quick to sl- slip out of it that's, that's why sunday is important that's why community is important that's why bible studies that's why these things that's why having christian friends is important cuz we get drawn back into reality and this is the reality, right? We have, we have a lot to sing about right now. The God of the universe has saved you, has opened your eyes to reality, has forgiven you, owns you, and will not lose you. And you can do nothing to earn that love. That's the framework for reality. In a moment, we're going to transition to communion and the song. Um, logistically, what we're looking at, we have regular bread to the far left, uh, gluten-free bread and a basket for the offering. We have wine, we have juice. When we come up to take this, uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul encourages us to consider our sin. We, we consider the way that we're believing some other framework other than the Jesus framework. We, we, we consider how we're getting after other things other than God. But what's amazing is that, that the distance between that and returning to Jesus, turning back to where you ought to go, is that quick, right? It's turning from that and turning to Christ. And so when we stand up to take this, when we stand up to sing, we do this as forgiven people. This is His body broken and blood shed for you to cleanse you from all your sin and iniquity and make you right with God forever. So when we do this, we do this as a proclamation together as the church. This is a celebration that we are blood-bought sinner saints forgiven by God forever and we stand up to sing for His glory. I will pray for us and we'll do that. Lord, help us. We need you. Uh, The world is trying to get us to buy into its feedback loop. The world just wants us to obey our thirst and do what the world does. The way is narrow the shape of the cross narrow. So I just pray, Jesus, that we, if we don't know You, You'd cleanse us of our sin and iniquity and we would know You. But that we wouldn't just think that You've... We wouldn't forget. We wouldn't just look at the reality. You've forgiven us for our sins. But You've made us alive together with You forever. We have life. We have new hearts. We have new eyes to see and ears to hear. We have the Holy Spirit helping us to walk with us. And that we have great joy in You, Jesus. The more we understand who you are and the way the world is and who we are, Lord, we pray you bless that. You'd, you'd enliven us to that. You'd make us passionate for you because of all the things you've done for us. And you'd help us to respond to the truth of who you are for your glory and for our joy. I pray these things in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.